Tonight, God's word comes to us from 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter 4. We're going to be focusing on the first six verses of this chapter, but for our scripture reading, we're going to begin back in chapter 3. We'll read verses 17 and 18, and then pick up the reading at chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And now verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to, thee, to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they, give a, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, in this particular section of the letter of 1 Peter, uh, the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, uh, Peter gives us a number of texts that are difficult to understand. We looked at one of those last time in 1 Peter 3, verse 19, about Christ proclaiming to the spirits in prison. He goes on in chapter 3 to say in verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Baptism saves you might in some way help to complete the work of Christ. As if his suffering on our behalf was not sufficient, was not enough. So we have to do more. We have to help Christ out in our atonement. Well, we know that cannot be what the text means. God has graciously, freely forgiven us for all of our sins. We offer nothing to him in terms of accomplishing the atonement. Christ has done absolutely everything necessary to secure, absolutely secure our salvation. The difficulties we experience, the sufferings we have contribute nothing to the fact that we are saved. 
our, our suffering does not atone for our sins. Now, that doesn't mean there won't, there won't be consequences for our sins. We may suffer the consequence of our sins, but that does not atone for our sin in any way. We don't add anything to what Christ has done. And so what does it mean when Peter says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin? Well, first of all, and again, I don't want to get too exegetical tonight, uh, first of all, this translation does not help us that much. Because it says, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That is not the best translation of the text. I would suggest a better translation is this. Rather than whoever suffers, for the one who suffers in the flesh, has ceased from sin. Not a generic reference to all mankind, but a reference to the one who suffers in the flesh. Who is that? What does the context tell us? Verse 18 of chapter 3, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves in the same way of thinking, for the one who suffered in the flesh, that is Christ, ceased from sin. It's not a general reference to suffering, anybody who suffers. It's a reference to the sufferings of Christ on our behalf. And when it says that the one who suffers ceased from sin, it's not talking about his sin. Christ had no sin. But he suffers that we might cease from sin because of our union with him. We, our sin no longer condemns us because of the work of Christ. And again, not trying to get too <laughs> exegetical tonight, but there is something of another parenthesis in, this, in these first couple of verses. That phrase... For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin is a phrase outside of the rest of the sentence. The sentence flows this way. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer in human passions, but for the will of God. This is the reference to us. Because of what Christ has done, because he suffered in the flesh, now we in the flesh, as we live our lives, are to cease from sin. Because Christ has removed the condemnation. Christ has removed the guilt. We are no longer under that death sentence of sin, and we need to, to live like it. And so he says, arm yourself, think this way. Arm yourself and prepare to live in the flesh for God, not for your own sinful passions. It's a call to honor God. In many ways, tonight's sermon is really a companion sermon to the one we had this morning, just from a different point of view. This morning, we talked about the hope that we have in Christ, not only for now, but also for eternity. 
tonight we talk about the work of Christ not only for eternity but also for how we live now. We are to live in a way that is pleasing to God now. That's the call that Peter is giving to us here and that is consistent with the call he has given in the rest of his letter. A call to holy living. A call to be done with the sinful ways of life. A call that is echoed throughout the scriptures. But one text that came to mind as I was reflecting on this text is the words of the Apostle John. In John chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And then he goes on to say this, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep in sin, on, on sinning because he has been born of God. No one born of God makes a practice, an ongoing desire to sin. He cannot do that because God's seed remains in him. He has been born of God. We don't return to the old ways of life because Jesus Christ has given us new life. He is the only reason we can live that life. We can only put away the things of the flesh because of what he has done. Because he suffered in the flesh for us that we might cease from sin in our lives. That's the point Peter is trying to make here. Christ did the work. And because of that work, we will now live in a particular way. Only based on the work of Christ can we begin to cease from sin in our lives. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like to cease from sin? He says, so live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Don't live for human passions, but for the will of God. And he goes on to say in verse 3, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, all these things. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. What he's saying is, you've already spent enough time living in the ways of the world. Before coming to recognize Jesus Christ as the one who frees you from sin, you spent enough time in this other way of life. The word suffices here is the idea of it is all filled up. There's no more time left. You've spent your time living as the Gentiles. You've spent your time living as the world. And you don't want to do it again because there, there's no time left for that. Now the time is to live for God. We cannot keep on sinning, the apostle says, because God's seed remains in us. Now, he does, he's not talking about sinless perfection. We know we'll still fall in sin, but it is not our desire anymore. We don't desire to return to the sinful ways of life. We don't long for the past. That time in our past, before we knew the grace of God, we don't, we don't say, oh, I, I feel like I've missed something. If only I could go back to that way of life. No, not living in the, in the human passions. That time is gone. 
that time has been filled up. There was sufficient time wasted living in the ways of the world. Now we are not to live according to these human passions, but live, he says, for the will of God. There couldn't be a more striking contrast. Living in the ways of the world or living according to the will of God. That will revealed to us in God's holy word. That word that gives us the path of righteousness. The way to bring glory to God in our life. Our life will look differently because of what God has done. It is, it, is, it is necessary for us to consistently apply the word of God to our lives. And that's what we've been doing throughout this. Peter said earlier about our various relationships, our relationship with the state, our relationship with our employer, our relationship with our spouse. We apply the word of God to those relationships because we are done with sin. We're done with pursuing those fallen, sinful ways. We don't want to go back to that. We want to live in a way according to God's will, according to his plan, because this will also be not only that which gives glory to God, this will be the path of blessing for us. It is a blessing to live as God has called us. We don't like to talk about rewards, I know that. But in many ways, obedience to God is its own reward because we're giving glory to him. Because we are doing now what he has intended. We are living for him the godly results in our lives. And so, Peter says, with respect to this, these uh, these non-believers, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Again, beautiful words that Peter uses here. He says, they are surprised when you do not join them. The idea is when you do not run along with them headlong into this flood of debauchery, headlong into these ways of sin once again. And they are surprised. This change in our life, the result of the work of the Spirit, should be noticeable, should be seen by those around us. We're not doing the things we used to do. Our life looks differently than it did before because of what Christ has done. And it's no surprise then when we have to change perhaps our group of friends or at the very least change our activities with that group of friends. We no longer run headlong into those worldly passions anymore, into the same flood of debauchery. And they will not like that. Even if we don't say anything, our non-participation will be like a silent condemnation, reminding them that there is a way to live that is pleasing to God and a way that is not. And they will malign you, Peter says. They will malign you. We may suffer for the sake of this. We may lose friends because we live in this way. But we suffer because Christ suffered. This is the way he begins this section, verse 17. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil, for Christ also suffered. There may be consequences 
to living this type of life, a life that seeks to cease from sin, that doesn't run headlong into it again. It may be the loss of relationships, maybe the loss of work, but we suffer for doing good rather than for the sake of doing wrong. Because, Peter says, verse 5, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter reminds that there will be a final judgment, a final reckoning, a final accounting of how we have lived our lives. Have we lived in the light of the fact that Christ has suffered for us and we've been given a new life? Or do we reject that and we simply go our own way, not caring about what Christ has done, not caring about who Christ is? There will be a final reckoning. There will be a final judgment. And again, I, the, the way the sermon this morning and the sermon this evening fit together so beautifully is only a matter of God's providence. And this morning, we talked about our assurance and our hope by looking back to the promises of God. This evening, we talk about the necessity of living for God, looking forward, because there is going to be a final judgment. A judgment when, when only those who are found in Christ will be able to make it through that judgment. And that's how he finishes up here. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, those who are now dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is why the gospel's preached. This is why the gospel goes out. Because there is going to be a final judgment. Because God will come again to judge the living and the dead. And only those who are found in Christ will stand in that judgment. The works of my hands are not sufficient. There's nothing I can offer to God, particularly if I'm flood, going in this flood of dissipation, this flood of debauchery. Nothing but condemnation awaits. And so once again, the gospel is preached tonight. Turn from the ways of sin and turn to Christ. He is the only hope for salvation. He is the only help in the judgment. The works of our hands are insufficient. He suffered in the flesh that we might be released from our sins and only if you are found in him will you, sur will you survive that final judgment living in the spirit, recognizing what Christ has done. When we reflect on what he has done, what he has done for us, then we take to heart what Peter tells us. We take to heart that we are to live in a particular way. That Christ died that we might be freed from sin. Freed from the guilt of sin. Freed from the burden of sin. Don't return to it again. Don't return to those old ways of life. But as God gives you the strength by his spirit, live in a way that brings glory and honor and praise to him because Christ died. And because of his death in the flesh, we have been ceased from sin. Yes, we will still fall, but we turn once again to Christ, pleading his mercy. God is always faithful. Our desire is not to return to the old ways. Our desire is to live for Christ now, to live for him every day. That's the point of 
Peter in the text tonight. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, Christ has seized us from sin so as to live the rest of our lives in the flesh, not for human passions, but for the will of God. That's the message for tonight. How will this impact the week to come? Will we, will we go back tomorrow to our homes, to our jobs, to our schools, and return to that old way of life? Remember, Jesus Christ suffered in the flesh that you could be set free, commit by God's grace and by the power of his spirit to live that new life free of human passions and according to his will. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for the beauty of your holy word. We thank you for the truth of the gospel that is written throughout the scriptures that Jesus Christ has done absolutely everything necessary to secure our salvation. May that be more than just an academic truth for us, O oh God. But may the weight of that sink in, that it might help us to say no to the sinful ways of life and help us by the power of your spirit to live for your honor and for your glory, following your will. We recognize, O oh God, we are weak and frail, so we pray to you. We pray for your strength, we pray for your help, we pray for your guidance, and we trust that you will lead us and guide us in the paths of righteousness. Hear our prayer, O oh God, for Jesus' sake, amen.